0: I'm gonna ask uh Tim Tim if you'd come forward here. Tim Porter. Yeah. We uh We made these a while ago, certificate of dedication for Aaron Elijah Porter and for uh Tessa Porter or is that Tessa or Jessa? Jessa Jessa Porter and uh and so we're just going to present them now, since they've been sitting back there. I kept forgetting, and uh, so, but uh, praise God! It's nice to have a church that that baptizes the adults and um, and dedicates the children, and so encouraged him and his missus, and so their home is uh, dedicated to uh, bringing up children in the discipline of the Lord. Uh, but, but God bless you. Okay, now if you open up to 1st, or actually 2nd Timothy, chapter 3. Um, we just finished. We're going through our survey of the Bible. We've been on it for probably over a decade now. And we finished up 1st Thessalonians. We'll be getting to 2nd Thessalonians probably later later this summer. Me and the missus are going to be going out to uh, New Mexico for a few weeks. And the uh, the men's Bible studies cancel for the next three Wednesdays and um, and so just pray for us uh, on our travels, but I'm, I'm not going to finish this message on the coming persecution today, so we'll probably finish it when we get back. and what the Bible teaches about persecution, kind of a biblical theology of persecution and um, and how what the Bible how the Bible says we should respond to persecution. And, uh, so we'll be talking, um, about that and then we'll get back into our survey of the Bible in second Thessalonians, um, after, uh, after we're done with this. So if you open up there to, uh, second Timothy chapter three, verse 12, and let's go to the Lord in prayer, uh, one more time that he anoints, uh, the, the preaching of the word father in Jesus, precious name. We just love you, Lord. And we, uh, we know that uh, there's a, a great division right now. A line between good and evil that is more clear now than any other time in our history. So that uh, one side claiming to be evil, uh, claiming to be good, claiming to be righteous, and yet they can promote such horrible, sinful behavior, and um, and act like they're the good guys. And all of a sudden, the Christians, those who believe the Bible, and even those who just believe in biblical morality, traditional values, all of a sudden, we're being called the bad people. And so the line has been drawn, Lord. And I pray that you you help us. Your word not only teaches us how to live godly lives, how to live for Jesus, but your word also teaches us how to die for Jesus if need be. And so I just pray, Lord, that... uh, that the people who are here, you'd prepare them for the dark times ahead, knowing that at the end of this dark tunnel, there is a light, and that is your son, the Lord Jesus, and he will return and make things right upon the earth. So these people here, we're part of the remnant, and um, there's churches all over America and throughout the world that really do believe, and the gospel really is being preached. So we're not alone, but we're part of that remnant, Lord. So the people who are here, they came here to hear your word, your wisdom, not the faulty wisdom of man. They're not here for fake news. They're here to hear the good news of salvation through Jesus. So I pray, Lord, you cancel the man, that you anoint me, fill me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray, Lord. You amaze amaze us that you you take fallible men to proclaim your infallible truth. And so just prevent uh, me from leading anyone astray. Open hearts and minds so we can understand your word and empower us by your spirit to apply your word. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be willing to live for your son, Jesus, and if need be, die for your son, Jesus. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So I I titled today's message, The The Coming Persecution, okay? And as I was saying in the prayer, I think a good pastor not only preaches from the Bible and teaches his people how to live for Jesus, but also teaches his people how to die for Jesus. America's been a great exception where we've gone so long without being physically persecuted. I mean... You know, we've been maybe ridiculed by our friends and uh, and, and our enemies, but uh, it's it's only that now that you were getting to the point where you could lose your job for being a Christian, okay? And you can be canceled and censored from social media for being a Christian. And um, there's one guy on the Internet, I don't agree with him on a lot of issues, a guy named St- Stefan Molyneux, but but he actually i think made a excellent point when he said cancel culture is a dress rehearsal for genocide okay when you look at how the nazis dealt with the jews first they started canceling them and then shutting down their businesses and then confiscating their property and then forcing them into ghettos and so uh we're we're living in some some really crazy days here and i think most of the church is going to be caught off guard okay and so I want to look at what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says about uh, persecution. Now, a few weeks ago on the Sunday evening service, I preached a message on the decline of a culture, of the decline uh, of man. As, uh, as culture turns its back on God, It was the passage of Romans 1, 18 to 32, we don't have time to look at that, but you might want to watch it. It's on Sermon Audio, The Decline of Culture. And... Um, And here's the different stages that Paul maps out in Romans 1, 18 to 32. First, you know, God reveals his existence to us, the creator. We don't see the invisible creator, but we see the visible work of his hands. So we know that God exists. Yet what does man do? Number one, we suppress the truth that God exists. Even though God makes it clear to us, we don't want it to exist. So we suppress that truth. We either become atheists or we invent uh, a more tame, manageable God, God that looks a lot like us. And uh, so the suppression of truth that God exists. Number two, then we profess to be wise, but we become fools. You reject the creator God, you come up with foolish nonsense about how we got here, who we are, where we're going, what's right, what's wrong. And that's what we're, we're doing right now. Look at our universities and our... Elementary and, and secondary schools, all the garbage that they're teaching, professing to be wise, but we become fools. Then we, then we worship false gods, idolatry. God eventually turns us over to depraved minds and sexual immorality. And in Romans 1, Paul uses the example of male and female homosexuality as an example of that. Then uh, the, the sixth stage in the decline of a culture is widespread wickedness. And then the final stage is that we approve of evil and promote evil, the approval and promotion of evil. And that's where we're at right now as a culture. We we Christians need to wake up and smell the coffee. Okay? We know when the coffee's brewing. We ought to also know when the persecution is brewing. And, um, and things are getting, things are getting real, real hot in the kitchen. What we're seeing is what I call the deification of the state, where the state is acting as if it's God. It's doing so much stuff that the church is supposed to be doing, and then it's acting like the church is irrelevant. It's a non-essential business. The government can shut it down. I thought Jesus was the head of the church. Okay? And, um... So the the state is acting like it's God. Now this hap- has happened before, time and time again. Rulers wanted to be worshipped and things of that sort, and want to tell you what to think and what to believe, and don't just don't just legislate on behavior like you know murder and and stealing and things like that, but they actually want to change the way you think. Well, the government's playing God. Now the ancient Romans did that, and they had to say Caesar is Lord, or uh, and burn incense to the Roman gods. And then you could worship your own God and your own religion. And, uh, but if you refuse to do that, the ancient Jews said, no, Yahweh is God, not Caesar. The ancient Christians, because they knew Jesus is Yahweh, Jesus is God, they said, no, Jesus is Lord. They weren't going to say Caesar is Lord. And so uh, uh, Christians were classified as enemies of the state or haters of mankind. It's like, look, we're going to bring peace if we can just all agree, okay? And you Christians don't agree with us. You think salvation is only through Jesus. You're an intolerant bigot. You believe the way certain people live their lifestyles, that's sinful. When the government has deemed them to be wholesome lifestyles. I mean, you got Moms for Liberty now is classified as a domestic terrorist group. And all they are is mothers that don't want the public schools teaching little Johnny, encouraging little Johnny to become a girl. In Washington state, the, the government, the, the, the schools have more control over the children than the parents do. So if a little kid wants to have a, a, a sex change or start getting hormone treatment and the parents object, uh, the, the children can be taken from the parents. Okay. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 520. What are those who call evil good and good evil? Okay. Now, I'm here to tell you, I love you. I'm here to tell you, and I got to tell myself, we should have known this all the time. From the day that I first trusted in Jesus for salvation, I should have known by trusting in Jesus for salvation, I'm declaring war in a spiritual sense on Satan and his demons and the billions of people they control on this planet. This is all part of the, the turf. Okay? It's all part of the deal. Okay? This is the norm. And and we're in denial. The Christian church is in denial. We still got pastors. Right now, there's pastors around Kitsap County trying not to offend their people or convict their people of their sin because if they feel good, maybe they'll come back. and you entertain them from one week to the next. Okay, it's not a time, don't play games with Jesus. Okay, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob become a man. This is not the time to play games with Jesus. This is the time to decide which side you're on. The state right now is being deified. When the state plays God, that kills man. And so I see the deification of the state, that title is equivalent to the death of man. C.S. Lewis wrote about this. He warned us about this in the 1940s in his work, The Abolition of Man. He told us that science and uh, the laws and the schools would no longer teach truth and what is right. All the laws now and all the, the things being taught uh we 're going instead of teaching truth and what is right, it would all teach and legislate what is helpful to those in positions of power to keep them there and to oppress the masses and um, and that 's going on right now our laws don 't even resemble what is right and what is wrong anymore okay Francis Schaefer called this the death of man in the 1970s god God sent people with prophetic voices to warn us. Even non-Christians wrote books like 1984, Animal House, Brave New World, to warn about this, this coming tyranny. And it's here. And so now we've got a new morality. We rejected God's morality. Then we said there's no morality. What's right for you is right for you. It doesn't have to be right for me and vice versa. Well, now we've reached a point of new morality where certain beliefs and certain behaviors that used to be considered good and wholesome are now considered bad. And certain beliefs and certain behaviors that were considered weird and sinful are now considered good. And it's Isaiah 520, what are those who call evil good and, and good evil? And it's the new tolerance. Traditional tolerance said that it was freedom of religion, freedom of speech. We can disagree and still get along. The new tolerance, all beliefs are equally true, and all behavior is equally wholesome. Oh, by the way, if you disagree with us, we can't tolerate you. So the new tolerance is like the most intolerant belief system in the history of mankind. So it's like being back in ancient Rome, okay, Uh, only we now have the technology to find people whenever we want, whenever the government wants. Uh, people talk about getting off the grid. I don't know how you get off the grid now, okay? Me and my wife, we have a conversation. My shoulders were hurting, you know, about a year ago. My shoulders are hurt, killing me, and this and that. And then I get on Facebook the next day. The first five posts are all advertisements for, for shoulder pain. And um, so, you know, big brothers here, big brothers watching. I'm telling you, the government doesn't love you. I'm not just saying the government doesn't love Christians. I'll be honest with you. The government doesn't love little children when it's encouraging little boys to become girls and little girls to become boys. It doesn't love them. It's just using them, using them for their agenda. Okay? If, um, if you can radicalize little people and get them to try to be something they're totally not, you can, you can radicalize them and get them to do anything you want. And it's all about power. It's all about control. I can say things. I can get in depth, but they'll cancel this like they canceled two two sermons on on YouTube that last few weeks I can get more specific in certain things I can't say. You know, I've I've been telling this to my students since I started teaching in 1999, since I started planting my church. This church in 1988, I've been saying Christians are still free in America. We're just not as free as everybody else. The only, the only people group I know of that have less freedom than Christians for the past 30-something years are unborn babies, okay? The right to life isn't even recognized, okay? And, uh, and so uh, the new morality, the new tolerance, we have gay marriage now. You know, the day's going to come when, when they're going to try to tell pastors if you don't perform a gay wedding, if you say no to a gay wedding. I mean, we're already telling bakers. You don't bake a cake for a gay wedding. We're going to shut you down, okay? And um, eventually, going to say that to pastors. You don't perform a gay gay wedding. You refuse to do so. Uh, you, you know, you're toast. The whole uh, LGBTQ plus. Um, it, it's getting to, in Canada. You speak out against that, you can get arrested. And America's like this close to that right now, okay? If the Bible, let me tell you something. I love everybody. Because I love everybody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the truth. Okay? You know, and then most of the time, I don't even give my opinion anymore unless people ask for it. People ask for my opinion, then I give them my opinion from the Bible, then they get mad. I say, yeah, y- you didn't want my opinion after all, huh? Uh, so, uh, but, uh, but, but whatever the case, uh, if the Bible calls something a sin... Sin is rebellion against God, the all-good, all-powerful, infinite, eternal Creator God. If God's word calls it a sin, I don't care what the White House says. I don't care what what Congress or Supreme Court. I don't care. I don't care for all practical purposes. I don't care what the Vatican says, or the World Economic Forum, or the United Nations. If God's word calls something a sin. And the world says, no, it's not a sin. Well, guess what? Let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? And, uh, and so, you know, I, yeah. man, I'm telling you, every time, every time I preach, I'm thinking, man. You know, I mean, the FBI does all these investigations to try to bring down anybody who's not part of this globalist agenda. And, I mean, you just preach the word. That's all you got to do is preach the word. You record it, you put it on radio, you put it on the Internet. It's like, you know, the government wants to get me someday. They're not going to have to do a whole lot of research. It's all out there. What was it in Texas? Some mayor in Texas at one time, he got shut down, but wanted transcripts from all the local pastors to see what they were preaching and want to come down on them for calling homosexuality a sin. If they if the government asks asks us for transcripts, we'll say, hey, why should we waste our time? Just listen to our stuff on the radio. Get on go online. It's all there. But I'm telling you, the Christians are free in America, we're just not quite as free as everybody else. And that freedom is eroding. If they can cancel something I preach from this pulpit, where's that? Where's that? What kind of freedom of speech and freedom of religion is that? Okay? And uh, and uh, uh, abortion, the killing of unborn babies, uh, neo-Marxism, this 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 idea of cultural Marxism, the oppressors versus the oppressed, and and believe me, there are people being oppressed right now. They just got they're putting the wrong people in the wrong categories, and uh, and then child trafficking. You know, if child trafficking and, and, and pedophilia. If that's not such a bad thing, why are they so ticked off at the movie The Sound of Freedom? Okay? And uh, one article recently, uh, I, I forget the uh, the newspaper, but they had a big article saying this is just a right-wing conspiracy nut, conspiracy theory, The Sound of Freedom. But then the very next article was talking about um, – people who are sexually attracted to little children aren't necessarily weird, okay? You, you tell me where, where we're going here, okay? So we've exchanged biblical morality for pagan immorality. And by the way, pagan immorality, the pagans, when a society is really saturated with paganism, pedophilia is not usually frowned upon. We've opened a floodgate. Once you redefine marriage, and you say two guys can get married or two gals can get married, where do you draw the line? So you're going to see a return of polygamy. There's already people pushing for pedophilia. There's there's a a push for bestiality. What are those who call evil good and good evil? So this persecution is coming. Christians are now viewed as intolerant bigots I said this a few weeks ago. I want to repeat it. Now, a lot of people talk about speaking truth to power, but usually the people who say that are left-wing people that don't even realize that they work for the power, and they're actually infringing on other people's rights. But I really think that we do need to speak truth to power. Now, pow- by power, what I mean is the deep state, the global elitist, okay, um, we've got to have the courage to say, hey, look, you're wrong. You're supposed to serve mankind, not enslave mankind, okay? But that's where the power is, and the oppressed, okay, you know, the, the non-believers that are being lied to when it comes to the gospel, that's a form of oppression. Uh, victims of human trafficking. They're being oppressed. we got to speak up for them. That's what the sound of freedom is. Uh, pregnant ladies who are pressured to have abortions. They're being oppressed by being encouraged to have uh, uh, abortions. Un- unborn babies, they're the, probably the most oppressed. we to—we got to stand up for the helpless. Inner city impoverished people who are enslaved into poverty through the welfare system, we got to speak up for them. Tell them the answer is not the government. Don't, don't turn to the government. The government doesn't love you. The government wants to enslave you. And um, children being taught falsehoods in government run schools. They're being oppressed. Children deceived concerning their genders. Little, little kids, little three, four, or five year old kids. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm a big. I'm a big fan of Christian education. I teach at a Christian school, but I'm even a bigger fan of homeschooling your kids. Okay, um, it, it 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 is just crazy now what we're doing. But uh, 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 people addicted to drugs or alcohol, they need Jesus, and they're being oppressed. If we tell a homeless guy uh, here, I'm the government. I'm here to help. Here's some clean needles for your heroin. Here we'll give you just enough food to get by. And here we'll give you some extra money so you can buy more drugs. They're oppressing the people, okay? But patriots, those who want America to stay sovereign and don't want us to merge into a global state, we're being oppressed. We're being called domestic terrorists, all kinds of things. Traditional Christians, we're being oppressed. Those who are canceled or censored or they lose their jobs, and even in prison, we got some people in prison that really did not break any laws. Okay? Somehow in this country, you could be arrested for being part of an insurrection even though you don't, nobody had any weapons. What is wrong with this picture? And they entered the Capitol because the Capitol police opened the doors and barriers and waved them in. And they're being mistreated too. Uh, this is this is not a banana republic. It's not supposed to be. Why are we acting like one? The persecution is here. Now there's a book that just came out. I'm not even done reading it yet, but The Coming Christian Persecution. The Coming Christian Persecution by Thomas Williams. I believe he's a, a Roman Catholic scholar. But I want to just point out some of the some of the statistics, some of the interesting things he said. This is from the coming Christian Persecution by Thomas Williams. On page 7, he points out that right now, 340 million Christians face high levels of persecution. He's talking high levels. In America, we're not facing high levels yet, but 340 million Christians around the globe. By the way, um, I would argue that the African continent right now is way more Christian than North America. I mean, it's like 47% of Africans profess faith in Christ. Um, get Nigeria. Half of the people are Christian, half are Muslims, so guess whose houses of worship are getting burned down and their children being kidnapped and sold into uh, sex and labor slavery. Boko Haram and other Terrorist groups are doing that. But right now, uh, and this is uh, the uh, Open Doors and their watch list in 2021, but they said in, by 2020, 340 million Christians now face high levels um, of persecution. Um, by 2020, uh, the year two thousand and twenty, four thousand seven hundred and sixty-one Christians were martyred. Now, the number is probably higher than that because sometimes Christians get put to death, but it's considered more of a political thing. But just for their faith, 4,761 Christians were martyred. Um, right now, uh, out of 198 nations, 145 of them uh, harass Christians. Okay, and they're talking a higher level of harassment than we Christians are receiving here in America today. Uh, then uh, he lists the the main uh, perpetrators: North Korea, India, China, Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Pakistan. If you notice, some of those countries like uh, Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq and uh, we've gotten kind of involved militarily. So we go somewhere, we drop bombs, and then sometimes we hang out for 20 years, we leave, and it gets worse than it was before we went there. So I think the founding fathers were right, saying, look, just mind your own business, you know. Um, and um, we're, we're creating creating a, a mess. Uh, Williams points out that Voltaire and Edward Gibbon, two 18th century authors, they blamed Christians for Christian persecution. They said, look, if you had just, if the Christians would have just stopped saying, look, only those who trust in Jesus for salvation are going to heaven. Everybody else is going to hell. Stop saying that and just join the world community and we'll have peace and stuff. But these intolerant Christians just keep getting in the way. And Voltaire and Edward Gibbons views are now becoming more and more popular that Christianity is the problem. A uh, few more things from this, this book by Thomas Williams. Uh, Wikipedia uh, has what they call an article on what they call Christian persecution complex. So if you think you're being persecuted because you're a Christian, you've got some kind of mental phobia uh, because nothing's going on with With Christians. Uh, The Atlantic in 2014, they had an article titled The Evangelical Persecution Complex. Um, 2017, The Washington Post had an article No, Christians do not face looming persecution in America. Um, Part of the problem is what they they say that, you know, only 70% of people in America identify as Christian. And by the way, most of them aren't real Christians. But yet 91% of Congress identifies as Christian. So it's, so Christians are privileged. We're not persecuted. Look, there's, there's two kinds of Christians, the real ones and the fake ones. Okay? And uh, so the media, uh, Williams points out that the media took Joe Biden and they they really acted like his devout, Catholic faith was such such a, a plus because he likes the Catholic mass and all. And they never mentioned, well, he's pro-abortion, pro-gay rights, uh, he's a socialist. I mean, he's, he's basically, he's what they call a cafeteria Catholic. He just picks and chooses what he wants, but he defends a morality that is totally opposed to Roman Catholic and biblical Christian morality. By the way, the guy down the block Father Lappy, he'd be applauding this right now. He's gonna get in a lot of trouble. That guy, he's got guy, he's got people coming from Catholic churches far away because he's an anti-Marxist, and he still believes in traditional morality. Now, I obviously I got a lot of disagreements with the guy. You know, veneration of Mary and the saints, and and the uh, the view that the host literally becomes the body and the blood of Christ. But you you show me a a Catholic like Joe Biden, the media acts like, what a, what a holy man. On the other hand, Williams points out Amy Coney, Coney Barrett, who's on the Supreme Court now, but when she was going through the hearings, they slammed her for her Catholic faith. Why? Because she takes her Catholic faith seriously. She's pro-life. She believes homosexuality is a sin. She wants limited constitutional government, doesn't want... Uh, the deification of the state, and so uh, and so basically, uh, you know, I'll go on record saying this right now. Uh, you can be a Christian and be treated like royalty in America today. You just got to be a certain kind of Christian, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. You got to be a pseudo Christian. And people are fine. Some of our churches have found a formula for growing, getting bigger and bigger by watering things down. And I've always said that the church, in our attempt to find common ground with the world, to a certain degree we need to find common ground in our common humanity to lead people to Christ. And in our attempt to find common ground with the world, we become the world. We've got to find common ground without compromising. But we've done nothing but Compromising uh, here 's a group I really like the coalition of african American pastors these guys are godly pastors the um, the far leftists the cultural Marxists have tried to bribe the black church in the inner cities to do their bidding and preach the social gospel, which is all the social justice woke critical race theory stuff and um But the coalition of African American uh, pastors—they put together a document in 2019, and the title is "Anti-Christian Bigotry." Anti-Christian bigotry is the last acceptable prejudice. So here's black pastors that are saying, "Look, um, if we, like other ethnic groups, work hard, uh, we can advance. We can do well." But if there's any group of people right now that you get a thumbs up from the government, if you badmouth them, it's Christians, okay? And uh, this is why the Nigerian Christian genocide was not even covered by Western media, okay? And um, uh, you had uh, uh, over 140 houses uh, destroyed, property destroyed, uh, hundreds of people killed, and the Western media uh, just ignores it. And uh, and the silence about it is because they've got a narrative. The narrative that the government wants right now, Christians bad, anti-Christians good. That's the narrative. So if it doesn't fit the narrative, um, you know, they're just not going to report it. All the reported in a biased way. I remember seeing a picture on the Internet once um, of this little girl dressed like a princess. She even had a smile on her face, and she was just laying down and had a little crown on like a princess. And the very disturbing, she looked so peaceful, the very disturbing thing about the photo was that her head was separate from her body. And... um and what had happened was, I think in Indonesia, uh, these little Christian girls were going to Christian school, their Christian school, and then a bunch of uh, Muslim terrorists wearing ski masks came out with machetes and beheaded them. And how did the Western media report it? They said that uh, religious violence uh, religious violence in Pakistan, um, you know, eight people killed. They didn't even say the bad guys were Muslims wearing masks and adults, and those who were killed, the Christians, were just little children and uh, who were definitely not looking to pick a fight. Uh, Here's a quote from uh, Thomas Williams in his book, The Coming Christian Persecution. Christian opposition to gay marriage, gender fluidity, Sexual uh, uh, libertarianism and abortion is already being depicted as – I can't even pronounce the word – but it's basically – it's a noun out of the word uh, uh, obscurantist. I never used the word. Vestiges of a medieval worldview that has been definitely superseded. As practices that Christians understand to be immoral become legal, Christians' failure to embrace the new morality looks more and more like obstinacy and bigotry rather than fidelity to Christ and his message. So that's the key there. As practices that we understand to be sinful or immoral become legal, more and more we become the prejudiced bigots, uh, the bad guys. Okay? So... So keep in mind, I've been saying persecution just around the corner since the late 1980s. Um, now it's really, really clear. Now, you know, 30 something years later, lots of people are saying what I said in the 80s, what Schaefer said in the 70s, what C.S. Lewis said in the 1940s. So, what does the Bible say about persecution? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul's on death row, and he says this, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He didn't say you might suffer persecution. He said you will. Now, a lot of us will say, well, wait a minute. My father was a Christian. He didn't suffer persecution. His father was a Christian. He didn't suffer persecution. No, all Christians suffer persecution. Just for such a long time in America, we just be ridiculed. Okay? When your friends want to do something sinful and you're a Christian and you say no, they make fun of you. Okay? At the job site, they make fun of you. Things of that sort. There was always guys, when I worked with the sub-age police, there were always guys talking behind my back. You know, uh, and then after I left and was full time with our church and Pastor Shoup, a former Sergeant Major in the Marine Corps, when he died, um, first thing they did was get on the phone and call me and get me a pass and roll out the red carpet and have me go and pray with the guys, the guys who had bad mouthed me um, for years. And I had some guys that were just good friends, but uh behind my back, a lot of them were bad mouthing me for being Christian. And all believers will be persecuted. It comes with the turf. If you're gonna follow Jesus, look how the powers that be treated him. Why do you why do we expect any better treatment than him? Look at his apostles. Look at the treatment they got. You know? I mean, it's just like look, it's it, it, we're the bride of Christ. But Paul's as much a part of the bride of Christ as we are. If they buried him with his head separated from his body, what makes me think I, get, I deserve better treatment? Peter, crucified upside down. Believe me, I'm not a big fan of pain. Okay? But if God's word says things that make me feel uncomfortable, i got to preach the uncomfortable. Okay, that's a problem in America. We're so comfortable. A lot of us who call ourselves Christians, a lot of us would choose comfort over Jesus. Who's your God, comfort? Or the Lord Jesus, who is the real God of comfort? Okay, but before the resurrection, before the exaltation, before the glory, In the cross of Calvary. The suffering precedes the glory. We're called to suffer with our King. Look what Jesus said the night he was betrayed in John chapter 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, and verses 18 through 20. John 15, 18 through 20. Jesus said this If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now, when I used to do law enforcement, and I'd write a guy a speed ticket, and I'd walk up, and I'd say, good afternoon, sir. I'm Officer Fernandez, Subbase Security Police. I was running radar. I clocked you in doing 35 in a 20. I'm going to need to cite you. I need to see your driver's license and vehicle registration. That was before they required the insurance, proof of insurance. And some guys would curse me out and everything, and I'd say, yes, sir, I need driver's license, vehicle registration. I would never get argue with the guy. And they could curse me out and everything. And, you know, sometimes it was like Navy officers who thought they outranked me. Excuse me, sir, I'm a civilian. And, um, and I just take their stuff right in the ticket and then hand it back, and they go right back to cursing me. But see, what I understood was the guy didn't hate me. He didn't have a problem with me. He had the, a problem with the speed limit laws and his inability to obey them. Okay. I just represented the law. So don't think you say, oh, everybody hates me. I must be... No, it's not you. It's not me. It's the Jesus that they see in you and me. We represent King Jesus. If this world doesn't want to bow before Jesus, if this world hates Jesus, what makes you think they're going to roll out the red carpet for you? Okay? Um... If they hated my Savior, they're going to hate me. They're going to hate you as well. So that's the first point. All believers will be persecuted. Look at Matthew 10, verses 34 to 36. Matthew 10. Everybody's like, oh, you know, if you love Jesus, Jesus just wants us all to come together. Yes, he wants believers to come together, but it's not a United Nations thing. Let's get together and hold hands with with people who committed genocide on their people and uh, with people who blasphemed the God of the Bible. Uh, And so Matthew 10, verses 34 to 36, Jesus said this, do not think I came to bring peace on earth. Now he's going to come and bring peace on earth. But when he comes the second time to bring peace on earth, He's going to shepherd the nations with an iron rod, and he's coming in power and glory. That's The only way you get peace in a world of sinful man uh, he's going to take King Jesus, the perfect king, to enforce peace through his infinite strength. But the first time he came, he said this, Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus said, look, I didn't come to, to unite the world. I came to provide salvation. Those who trust in me for salvation, the rest of the world is going to hate them. Okay? Now, it, it's not our job to be mean to non-believers and to declare war on them. We trust in Jesus. Who is it? We learned when we closed First Thessalonians. Who is the God of peace? We're the peacemakers. But if people want to want to go to war against God, you know, when you trust in Jesus and then you turn around and get baptized, you're saying, even though the world has declared war on Jesus and his followers, I identify. With Jesus and his followers. Okay? And, um, and so Jesus came to divide, not to unite. Some of us have family members that are not saved. And we had a better relationship with them when we were getting drunk with them or, or cursing or whatever it was we were doing. And now we get saved, and all of a sudden they don't like us anymore. And I remember when I took my wife and daughter to New Jersey. We were at my uncle Rocco Minacino's house. My godfather, my mother's brother, and it had, yeah, it was a, a, just a portion of the Minacino Italian family, and um, and my cousin Bobby told me and, and my wife Kathy a dirty joke. Now, now Bobby was a big guy, like six foot, three hundred pounds. He could throw down, and uh, and uh, he told us a dirty joke, and we didn't laugh. He said, and he's like, what's the matter? You don't like my jokes? And then his wife said, Bobby, don't you know they're reborn Christians? And then my Uncle Rocco hears that. He says, you know, that's what I don't like about you Christians. You're always always telling me I'm going to hell. And I said, have I ever told you you're going to hell? He said, no. I said, okay, you must be talking about other Christians, not me. And I was thinking to myself, you must be talking about the good Christians. I'm too, too new of a believer to tell you you're going to hell. And, uh... And, but it was just like missiles coming from every thing. And it, it was division the there. It took about, I don't know, 10 to 15 years before they realized I wasn't just going through a phase. And then they started respecting me. I think my Ro- uncle Rocco one day told me, he says, he says, you know, you, you need to talk. You need to talk to my son Rocco Jr. About Jesus. He's he, he need, he needs, I don't need Jesus. He needs Jesus, you know? And, um, so, uh, but, uh, so the Bible says all believers will be persecuted and Jesus came to divide, not to unite, okay? And um, we would love to unite with all mankind, with all mankind worshiping Jesus. God does not want mankind united while in rebellion against him. He showed us that at the Tower of Babel, okay? Okay. The UN is just a return to the Tower of Babel, okay? And uh, but all believers will be persecuted. Jesus came to divide, not to unite. Uh, John sixteen two. Gospel of John chapter sixteen. John 16, verse 2, again, this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. In John sixteen two, he told his apostles, they will put you out of the synagogues. The synagogues were the place where the Jews would worship to study God's word, sing hymns to God and pray. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. You know, it wasn't too long from that day and Saul of Tarsus was doing exactly that. Kicking Christians out of the synagogues, having them stoned to death. Then he tried to travel to Damascus to uh, bring back Christians to have them uh, executed in Jerusalem. The time is coming when whoever kills you will think he offers God service. When Muslims blow up people in what they consider Christian lands, they think they're doing a service to God. So our persecutors often believe they are serving God and doing the right thing, okay? Now we're going to see, you know, the second half of this message that God calls us to just love them, pray for them, and turn the other cheek. You're allowed to defend yourself and your family if, you, if that's possible. You're allowed to flee. The apostles fled. But... um, um but some of our persecutors are going to believe that they're serving God and doing the right thing. Uh, Matthew 24, 9. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 9. Jesus is talking about things in the end times. This is one of those passages that shows us that we're really, really close. You know, what were the statistics out of the 198 countries on earth? Almost all of them already harass Christians. Can't find it, but... Uh, and so Matthew 24, verse 9, and Jesus says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He didn't say most nations, he said all nations, okay? And so the, the, the more and more countries that turn on Christians, okay, uh, the closer we are to the return of the Lord. Now look at, you know, so, so far it's like, wow, all believers will be persecuted. Jesus came to divide, not to unite. Our persecutors often believe they are serving God and doing the right things. All nations will eventually persecute Christians. Gee, that's nothing but bad news. Well, no, there's good news here, okay? There's always good news in God's word. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody loves the Sermon on the Mount, which just shows that most people don't understand what it says. Um, Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12, Jesus said this, Several people arrested just for preaching the gospel at transgender or gray gay rallies or whatever. You got this Canadian pastor, man. This guy, this guy grew up under communism, so he's like he will not shut up about it. And they've locked him up numerous times. But it's kind of it's kind of weird. Can you imagine somebody being locked up for preaching the gospel? We go and visit them and say, Man, you are so blessed. Okay? So we gotta Don't don't view things the way the world does. See things, see people, see circumstances through the eyes of Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God of truth, he tells us, blessed are those who are persecuted because great is their reward in heaven. And, um, you know, it's like James 1, verse 2, uh, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because God grows our character through suffering. Okay. And uh, so the persecuted will be blessed by God. And I want to close with this point. Um, We're not alone. The Bible teaches we're going to be persecuted, but we're not alone. Jesus is with us in the midst of our suffering. When Daniel's friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow before Nebuchadnezzar's statue, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, there was a fourth man in there with them, one like the Son of Man. And he rescued them from that fiery furnace. But they said going in, we're going to pray to our God. He might deliver us, he might not. But he's still God. That's his choice. And so don't think if you're in a fiery furnace, God's automatically going to rescue you. He might not. He might decide to just take you to be with him right away, but the, the, the key is so I don't I, I can't tell you as your pastor, I can't say God will deliver you from your suffering, God will deliver you from the fiery furnace. But what I can say is when you suffer, you're not alone. when you get persecuted you're not alone. When you feel lonely and abandoned, when you get beaten, you're not alone. King Jesus is with you. King Jesus will comfort you. King Jesus loves you. We serve a good God. Uh, Matthew 25, 41 to 46 Jesus talks about the sheep and the goat judgment, Matthew 25, 41 to 46. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it, To one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, you mess with Jesus' people, that's the same as messing with Jesus. Okay? Um, This is why Paul, on the road to Damascus, we don't have time to look at it, but in Acts 9, 1 to 5, Saul of Tarsus, who we now know of as the Apostle Paul, He was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. He sees a blinding light. He gets knocked down. And he hears, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul knew, hey, this is the Lord. This is Yahweh. Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Saul never persecuted Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus' people. You know what Jesus says? You persecute my people, you're persecuting me. Okay. By the way, that's the signs of a good leader. So many times, a good leader, you know, people will say, I, "I, I like you. I, I obey you." It's just uh, your your right hand man gets on my nerves. And a good leader, you mess with my people, you messing with me. So don't 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 leave church today feeling sorry for Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab or Joe Biden. Don't don't leave here feeling sorry for yourself. Feel sorry for them. Okay, don't feel sorry for yourself. Feel sorry, pity those who want to persecute you because they're not just messing with God's people. They're messing with King Jesus. You know, we had an expression back in Jersey, you, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Don't, don't mess with King Jesus. Don't mess with his people and um uh, uh we'll close with Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6. You know Matthew 28:20 20, when before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, "Lo I am with you always, even to the end of the age. King Jesus is with us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without uh, covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear What can man do to me? Okay. And um, so all believers will be persecuted. Jesus came to divide believers from non-believers, not to unite. Our persecutors often believe they're serving God and doing the right thing. But eventually all nations will persecute Christians. But God says the persecuted will be blessed by God. And when we suffer, we're not alone. Jesus is with us in our suffering. You know, I um, there's one quote from this book. He quotes a, uh, an archbishop who said something really interesting. He had the late, no, a cardinal. The late cardinal Francis George, archbishop of Chicago, had some sobering words to describe the state of persecution in our day and the trend it is following. This is what this cardinal said. This cardinal has Already died. I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. Let's wake up, Christians. Let's smell the coffee and let's realize persecution is right around the corner. And I'm telling you, uh, we need to live for Jesus. A lot of times guys will say, when things get bad, I'll be willing to die for Jesus. And I'll tell them, Why should I believe that? When things are good, if you can't live for Jesus, what makes me think when things get bad, you're going to be willing to die for him? Okay? Right now, let's live for Jesus moment by moment, day by day. Be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Let's love people, even our enemies, and let's pray for them. And let's recognize that when that persecution does come, and it will come, when we suffer, You know, believers suffer just like the world suffers. The difference is when we suffer, we don't suffer alone. The crucified, risen Savior, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is with us, not just in the good times, but even in the bad times. When we suffer, we don't suffer alone. So we need to rejoice Blessed are those who are persecuted for Jesus' sake.